Hey everyone, this is Jordan Van Trump, and thanks for tuning in to another episode of How I Built This Ag Business. Just wanted to let everyone know this podcast is sponsored by the company I started right out of college called AgSwag. I'm sure like many of the other disruptors on this podcast, I started this company searching for cooler stuff and better service. One of my first tasks when I got out of college was finding some cool hats for my dad's business, as my family and their friends always struggled to source quality swag throughout the years. I started this company only making a few hats and have been fortunate enough to meet some of the top business leaders in the ag industry along the way. I've worked with some of the biggest disruptors currently in the space, such as FBN, Benson Hill, Pivot Bio, Pattern Ag, Holganics, as well as many veterans such as Cargill, Nutrien, Dairy Farmers of America, Kent Corp, CGB, Helena, and the list goes on and on. Throughout this journey of providing swag to various companies in agriculture, I've had the opportunity to learn some of the best business lessons, hacks, marketing strategies, and many other things to take my company to scale and become more successful throughout the years. My intentions of this series is to bring on guests that I've had the opportunity to work with over the years to tell their story and hopefully help you build your business in the future. Hope you enjoy. Hey everybody, we are on here with another edition of How I Built This Ag Business with uh, Steve and Scott Henry, uh, fourth generation farm. Their farm name is Longview Farms out of Nevada, Iowa. I believe they are farming over 10,000 acres now. They do everything from uh, corn, soybeans, seed corn, seed beans. I think they do a little bit of sorghum as well. Um, I read online they got a custom spraying business, and they also do seed corn to tasseling. Um, they're also recently involved in a few livestock ventures. That on the cattle side, it's called Grain River Cattle Company, and they also have a pork division called Longview Pork. In addition to that, I know Scott is involved in a private investment farmland firm called uh, Red Reef Partners. And with that, I'd like to welcome Scott and uh, Steve to the show. Good afternoon. Nice having you guys. Did hey, I, Jordan, uh, I, want to, I want to kick off one thing and just say, hey, I appreciate very much so you guys uh, agreeing to, to do the podcast as you know, I mean, we don't really, I don't take any advertisers or any money from sponsor or any of that. Jordan and I just wanted to create a platform that we thought we could give back to the ag community and the rural community and the farm folks. And I always get asked, Steve and Scott, when I go out and speak, you know, like, how come our stories are never told, whether it's about the food or the farm to food or that, and we have to, you know, the big media kind of, I don't know what's fake news or big media or whatever the heck we want to call it these days, but we're all battling this. So I, I told Jordan and Jordan come up with the idea, Hey, why don't we start just featuring some folks who have built up some great ag businesses or not, you know, just even some, some nice farms and farm operations and then try to tell our story out there to the public and to the media. So I know a lot of folks like to fly under the radar. I know nobody really wants to be on and kind of, you know, pat themselves by or tell their story, but it's like, if we don't, we see what happens. Uh, I think the other side's going to tell their story a lot louder, and eventually we're going to be paying the, the price over here, which which we kind of already are. So I just wanted to say I appreciate it. I love the fact you guys have agreed to come on, just kind of tell a little background story and let other people see that uh, what what can be done and what hard work and and things can come from it. So certainly appreciate it. Thank you. You bet. Well, so uh, I, guess, I guess let's get started. Where to, uh, when the farm began? Was it uh, your dad, Scott, or I guess Steve? Was it your dad or his dad that started the farm? You know, it was actually my grandfather, Kenneth Long. And so when you hear the name Longview, you know, we built that, we changed that name to basically kind of honor the past of a grand grandfather. I never knew him. He died before I had memory. And then my dad took over after my grandpa died. And uh, then uh, I took over after my farming with my dad for six years. And he was one of those few farmers just to cold turkey retire. And uh, so we took the past long and we like to say we're trying to honor the past, steward the present and look to the future. Um, because agriculture and farming is always going to look different. And uh, yeah, I, I was very blessed that my, my wife has been fully engaged in the farm for 
uh, about six years less than me. And uh, she would be what we call our CFO around here. And then really fortunate that after Scott had a business career elsewhere and got some education and he came back to the farm. And then our youngest son, Eric, is also back at the farm. So yeah, I, I like to say that I'm standing on the shoulders of a grandfather I never knew and uh, a dad who uh, was conservative but cared and loved his family. And I just hope that I'm able to put my head on the pillow, my last breath and say I did the same thing. So what did the, uh, the farm look like when you took over? Uh, I had a short lending career. I was a real estate lending from 83 to 88. So a great time to be a, a land loan officer. Um, but it was a great education, you know, and um, a lot of good folks made a lot of decisions that just uh, went against them. I mean, they were trying to do the best thing and, and uh, I probably would have been in the same situation. So it's hard to say. So, yeah, when I came back to the farm, uh, my dad was farming 1,200 acres, and uh, it was all family-owned or rented within the family at that time, and uh, I came back, and uh, that's when I kind of gradually started uh, renting some, but back in 88 and 89, 89 is when I bought my first farm, and I was able to get it paid for with the additional revenues we had from seed corn, and you know, my plan was never to get to the size we were, but uh, to increase my land ownership because it's what I enjoyed doing. Um, but then land prices got up to a little over $6,500 an acre and the whole, the whole business plan had to change at that point. Yeah, so you know, uh, Steve, you know, we're, we're moving back into this where uh, cost of money isn't going to be free anymore. So, you know, I, it's going to be definitely be different. Uh, hopefully. Yeah, I like to say that my entire career has been about debt management, you know, not cash management. Um, True. Uh, because I am a product of the 80s. I mean, I wasn't afraid of debt, but I just didn't want to get beyond uh, my debt repayment capacity and my ability to sleep well at night. And so, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens to some of the uh, farmland prices if we get a mm -hmm. more of a significant uptick in these at rates. I mean, it, it could get a little nutty. Well, Scott and I have varied opinions on that one. So. I'm like I said, uh, with interest rates getting up there, the repayment capacity, the other, in my opinion, the other alternative investments are going to start becoming more attractive than what farmland's typical demanded. And uh, I guess it just depends on what people are going to be willing to pay on rent. I, it would, I don't know. I, that seems as silly, yeah, basic to me as that. I'm with you. I, I, I'm with you. I just had the conversation with Jordan because we buy buildings and we buy other uh, properties and we're looking to buy some more buildings. We do some Furnham Airbnbs or multifamily. And I just said, look, son, most of the bigger money guys I know who are invested in real estate are taking their money out and they're putting it in a two-year treasury earning 4% or they're putting it in a muni and they're earning five plus the tax deferred. They're earning 9% on their money. They're not having to jack with renters. They're not having to mess with repayments, you know, depreciation, fixing. I said, guys are just moving money around right now because of this interest rate thing. And that's what I said, Jordan, I said, I think there could be some bargain. I mean, there could be some farmland prices that, that you know, farmland could get hit pretty good because you're gonna pull a lot of investor money, which would be the funds, uh, you know, California teachers pension, they're not gonna be looking to buy farmland when they can get six, 7% on their money sitting over here in a, in a muni or something. So it's, it, you will pull some uh, buyer's interest uh, out of this market, I think, you know. And, Jordan Young, hell, he hadn't seen anything. Yeah, I, haven't, I haven't heard it as of yet, but I talked to a few guys today. They're wanting us to help push some farm ground. They're trying to, I guess they're trying to dump it, get rid of it, because they said they can't afford it anymore. They're freaking out, calling the auction places, like, I gotta get rid of this thing now. Like, just so, managing their debt. Yeah. Yeah. But it'll be interesting to see if folks are as aggressive on wanting to take on new land when the, when they see the interest rate prices that they're going to have to chew on. So, yeah, I'm, I'm in agreement. So, It'll, it, it definitely will be interesting. So let's get back on track. Sorry, I interrupted. 
You're all good. What were uh, what were like some of the biggest changes you made on the farm, Steve? Once you came on board, um, you know, I, I wouldn't say I wouldn't say that I've done anything really, you know, innovative. I I hope I've had some ingenuity to such stuff, but to say that I built a better mouse trap or did anything real innovative, no. I, I, I would say that I've always kind of tried to operate with a mindset of continuous improvement. I think we should, can always do better. Um, I, you know, it, it's not, to me, to me, you know, growth should be the result of doing the right things, not for just the sake of growth. And I hope that, you know, when I'm doing the right things that, you know, if growth is the result of it, it's the right thing, so. I, you know, the seed corn production, my dad started that and I was able to, you know, balance, you know, relationships and get a couple more companies. Um, but again, you know, you're dealing with third parties there and everybody can choose what they want to do on that. So we've been up and down on acres and, you know, you know, we, one of the other things we did is I got a great group of people working with us just a, a tremendous group of people my dad was just kind of a command control one guy operation and you know as we've grown i've i've had to try to get better at leadership i'm, I'm not perfect by any means but i've tried to get better at it and yeah so scott do you want to add anything here on that yeah yeah, what's got I think I think one of the things that we've tried to do here in the last five to ten years is to listen to what the consumer is saying and and try and implement more sustainable and regenerative practices that make economic sense. Um, and so, you know, for us, we've we've really taken a, the prescriptive approach to each farm that we operate, and so. Like I always tell folks, we have farms that are no-till, but we still have farms that are pretty conventional tillage as well. Uh, it varies based off of crop rotation and soil type and, um, and just kind of the other ways that we're managing the property um, to drive yield um, and to drive those economic returns. The other thing that we've done, um, and again, I don't know if I'd say that it's purely innovative, but we've really looked at how we can integrate livestock into the system, both for the agronomic benefits of manure in the case of our hog barns, as well as an opportunity for my brothers and I to begin to build wealth um, separate of kind of the family land holdings or the, the generational elements of um, what my grandparents and great-grandparents and, and what my parents have built. And so the, the livestock has purely been a focus of my brothers and I. Uh, my, my folks are not a part of that entity um, in any way. And so it, it's really allowed us to, to grow on our own um, and, and given us some satisfaction of feeling like we're doing something um, that doesn't require a co-signer or somebody to um, kind of hold our hand and be there as a backstop. It, it truly is a, a product of our own volition and, and it's been it's been interesting. I don't know if I'm ready to say it's been great. It's been good yet, but uh, we're we're definitely um, enjoying the benefits on the farm side of that. And I really like building great teams, and so it's been fun to um, have a have a separate team focused on livestock uh, versus the row crop part of our entity. We've seen that quite a bit with farm families. Not quite a bit, but I think the successful farm families try to find something that their kids can have ownership in exclusively. Like you're saying with the livestock, Jordan with the ag swag, we yep. come up with other businesses. Just, you know, I think it's important that you got to let the kids fail. They got to be able to, you know, to, you know, build self-confidence in themselves and, and make decisions. Sometimes they're not always going to be the best, but you know, we're at least <laughs> Steve, we're at least hereby to maybe dust them off when they get really, the swift kick. So it's like, you know, I, I, I commend you guys. And I, I think we're seeing that as we talk to more families that hopefully people use those ideas and, and allow their kids to kind of come up with some new things that fit into the overall model. I'm sure your mom's, is your mom still helping you with any of that on the CFO side or is she, you guys doing it all? 
Yeah, we try to integrate some of the the finance and accounting components of it, but um, you know we have our own separate um, con- controller and, and oh, yeah. bookkeeper on the cattle side of what we do. Um, the the hog barns are easy to roll in just because there's not a whole lot of monthly um, you know monthly journal entry stuff to deal with there being contract finishers, but um, the cattle entity definitely um, requires a little bit more of its own. The, uh, the other piece of it that I've really, why we pursue it goes back even to the conversation we we're just having about farmland as well. You know, we, my brothers and I are able to invest in these entities or these businesses and, you know, the cash flow covers the principal and the interest. And sometimes there's even a little bit left over, you know, that's a lot different than when you're buying farmland right now. And, and so that's one of the strategic decisions we've made as a family is, you know, the farmland is maybe more driven for a cash buyer or, or somebody that has, um, you know, the wherewithal to, to subsidize it and, and to make those payments. Let's, let's take the riskier uh, adventures, I guess, instead of just a venture and, uh, and let the next generation um, that has the longer time horizon to take advantage of that. And I think it's really changed the the perspective we have um, when we consider non-ag investments as a family as well. Uh, and, and that's something that, that I, I hope that we can continue to do. So on the, on the cattle on the pork side, is that an existing operation you guys bought or you guys just bought some land and. Yep. Gave it a Good go. question. So the, the pork, we, we added hog barns, just like a lot of um, next generation guys have done that have come back to the farm. Uh, we, we built three 5,000 head sites back in 2019, and um, those were all placed strategically around the farmland that we own and rent um, under Longview Farms. So we're able to keep the manure for ourselves, um, and then we have a contract with Tri-Oak Foods, uh, and, and that's a, it's been great. So that was full, you know, uh, full-scale development uh, from, from Bear Dirt, effectively. The cattle entity, we actually purchased um, an existing feedlot. And so Grand River Cattle Company um, was one that we had we had been approached about um, after doing the hog barns. I think folks kind of wondered if we'd be interested in expanding even further into livestock. And um, for, for being kids that in 4-H, we had show lambs. We didn't have cattle or pigs to, to, to kind of dive headfirst into these where these entities was 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 a little bit nerve wracking for us, but the feedlot we purchased came with um, an existing employee group that is second to none in my opinion. And and our our manager down there, Todd Masters, is salt of the earth guy that really understands how to background cattle and or calves and get them started and do a great job. And so uh, we're we're really proud of of what what they had already built and to be kind of the successor owner um, as the previous generation there was just looking to exit. Um, it's, it's been a great uh, opportunity for us to both learn and um, uh, to, to kind of come out of COVID when cattle was owning a feedlot might not have been the best decision uh, at the beginning of our entry into that business. Uh, it, the last year or two has really been, um, been rewarding um, for some of the, the commitments we've made down there. So what are the, uh, you can go ahead, Dad. I just got a question for Scott. Are we seeing are we seeing a lot more hog operations coming back to Iowa or into the Midwest? You know, we had that big push out east. Yep. Uh, you know, I traded I traded at the Merck in the early '90s through the '90s, and, and then you know we used to do a lot of hog trading, and then it seemed like it was all a lot weather related. Uh, you know, we'd get a lot of weather volatility in action, then everything a lot of moved out of Iowa and moved uh, out to Carolinas, and is it mm-hmm. back now too? I think it's definitely back. I don't know if the last three to five years have had the increase in capacity as far as new spaces coming online, but what we're really seeing a lot of now in Iowa is these 10 and 20 year barns as they come off their first or second contract have been trading. And so the market for a used livestock facility is strong as it's ever been. Uh, and, and so you're seeing some switching on contracts from different integrators, just depending on kind of who's, who's making what bets or where sow numbers are. But, um, 
but I haven't seen a ton of new spaces come online, um, at least not at the same pace as back when I was um, out of college. That was my, my job was for a pork investment fund or a fund that had raised money to develop livestock sites. Uh, you know, we, we were building 12, 13, you know, two barn sites a year. And so it, uh, we aren't seeing that pace, but we've definitely seen the used um, or existing facilities start to trade at a significant number relative to where they have been. So, cool. Go ahead, Jim. How do the uh, how do the dynamics work on the farm with the pork and the cattle and all that? Are you guys uh, is the cattle operation having to pay the farm for the feed, or are you guys sourcing the feed mm -hmm. somewhere else, or what do you? How do your dynamics work on all that? Yeah. So we have we have quite a few synergies with the pork entity between the farm and the pork entity where we get the manure benefits there. Uh, we have a shared employee between the two. Uh, and then the, the cattle, it, it truly was uh, an investment by my brothers and I on uh, as not completely passive, but it's an hour and a half away actually from our row crop farm. And so it sits just down there about 10 miles from the border of Iowa and Missouri and Southern Iowa. And so we don't unfortunately get to see a bunch of synergistic benefit for it um, beyond some of the back office uh, and accounting related sharing functions. The, uh, the real thing that we learned early on with the pigs too is it's hard to hire people that want to do both row crops and livestock. There's livestock guys and there's row crop guys, it seems like to me from, um, from kind of the day-to-day -day operations standpoint. And so we've tried to have everything stand on its own um, and avoid too much sharing of employees. Just because a lot of our row crop guys, they weren't, when we hired them, we didn't have any livestock, you know? And so trying to just maintain the culture and the commitments we had made to them when they came on um, they might not have been wanting to work in a hog barn. They wanted to drive tractors, right? And so, um, so we've tried to be be true to that um, and honor that, those commitments. Uh, and then the feedlot, just being as far away as it is, um, that's that's never been an issue. Maybe send an intern down there for a week or something, but that's about it. So it kind of fits our, Jordan. That kind of fits our model. That I always tell Jordan. So when I was younger, when I first started learning a lot about businesses and investing in that. I mean, I always found there were two ways. There's really two ways. You can make your money and earn your money and invest it back in your own central core business, which means hiring more employees, growing it out, buying more land, or you can make your money and invest it into ancillary business models and hopefully build and grow those out. So it sounds like you guys are doing a little bit of both, which is similar to what we tried to similar to what we tried to do. I mean, I know a lot of companies, especially if you're a public company or something, you have to really try and take your money, invest it back into your core business, hire more people, show frontline growth. And, uh, you know, I, I like the play. Yeah. Getting into the, uh, even the, if it's uh, an hour and a half away, it's taking some of the money off the table where you're at and, and diversifying the bet and, and pushing it in we, another direction. So. We've also really come here recently and, and, my dad can share his opinion if it's, if he wants here too, but of whenever we're going to do something that's ancillary, we try to do it with a really a best in class type of operator. Right. And so if it's in this case, the feedlot, what's really sold us on that was the manager. And, and so uh, Todd has been there for a long time. He's just really good at what he did. And so we, we were able to have a lot of confidence knowing that we were working with uh, an individual that, that was truly the best, you know, in class type person. And uh, whether that's with um, that entity or that investment, or even partnering with great apartment developers or operators on some non-ag stuff that we've done, I've noticed that a lot of the investments that have worked out well for our family have been where if it's an area where we don't view ourselves as a, as a knowledge expert or a subject matter expert, you know, partnering with those that are, um, has, has, has been great. And so hopefully we can be that for folks that want to buy farmland and have an operator to do it. Longview Farms is, is great at what they do, I think, and, um, and, and is always looking to grow. Um, but on the same coin or in the same vein, you know, as a family that's literally 80 plus percent invested in 
in agriculture and pretty heavily in row crop agriculture. Um, it's been really um, interesting these last several years to, to expand or diversify that and just to see the benefits that, that do come with that. I, uh, yeah, go ahead, Steve. Tell us your thoughts. I would say I've learned a lot from the next generation. Um, my, my operating plan was, I, I'm a farmer. I love to drive a combine. I love to drive a corn planter, you know, and I love, you know, the fact that, you know, I have family-owned land working with family. But the economics just didn't make sense for the next generation and without Lori and I just doing everything or turning over our balance sheet, signing notes. And I just, you were saying it early, Kevin, and I agree with it, you know, they need to experience the rewards of their good decisions and the consequences of their poor decisions. And, and uh, that's the best learning opportunity and the best way to get the fire in the belly that I think that, um, I th that I think is important to be um, the kind of person that can have the confidence and the ability to make their own choices for the, their own next generations of families. Hey, Jordan, I'll, uh, while we're on the subject, I will share that some of my worst business decisions or investing decisions would be just like Scott is saying, I, I didn't recognize when you're making the ancillary investments outside your core competency, you have to be betting on the people in charge or the people. And I think that's what Steve and Scott are both saying. Uh, because I have invested tons of money. We used to always say, you know, I'd come back home to my hometown and God have an idea and it would be, uh, you know, his idea and my money would soon turn into, you know, his money and my experience in the end. And it wasn't a good thing. And I've done many of these. So the guy comes with an idea and he's got a sales manager that's kind of a rookie half-ass sales manager and you put money in it. Well, what's going to happen is it's going to take a ton of your bandwidth and time to try and save that entity or to keep that thing from going into a hole. And really, that's what you don't have, as you guys would argue along before. You don't have the time and the bandwidth to add in a big way. You know, Jordan and my daughter one time wanted to buy a I bought restaurants and I bought crazy thing and and I bought them. In the beginning, I would be like, oh, it's a great real estate play or it's a great this. But I was a mistake was not buying people or investing in people, I should say. And you have to have that because it's the strain on your bandwidth and the distraction time that will kill your core business and then really start to impact and affect the money that you're generating from the core business. So you really have to think that one through. And I think, like you said, Scott, you guys were smart enough to, to realize that the cattle operation, best of class with the best of class management team, or if you're looking at a partner, whatever it may be. And that's that's a great rule of thumb to write on the wall, Jordan, on that one, um, just just to keep you out of trouble. So I think if you're going to get outside your core competency, you, you better have a great team you're investing in. So, Yeah, what did you guys do on the pork side of things? Did you go out and try to find a guy to manage that side of it first or – you jump in the business and then say, hell, we got to find someone to manage this thing. We, we tried really hard at first to find an integrator partner um, that we knew aligned with our values and our approach to business. And, and really we own a facility, right? So it's a real estate play that just happens to have a livestock component and a manure benefit. But um we live in an area that's, we're rural still here in Nevada, but we're 15 minutes to the center of Ames, Iowa, and 45 minutes to the center of downtown Des Moines. So we're still, we're not out in the sticks by any means here. And so um, the livestock, kind of the herb, urban versus rural battle or kind of the disagreements on that was a real thing. And so we had a lot of integrators tell us, hey, we're interested, um, in sites right now, but we don't want to come to an area where there could be some uh, reputation risk or fallout for the permitting process. And so that kind of turned, we, it turned us around a little bit. And so we actually took the risk and developed these sites and permitted them without an integrator partner. And so we went through the public process and everything, not knowing if we get through all that, that there'd be somebody there to even put pigs in the barns. Um, and so we kind of bet on ourselves 
there. And thankfully there's enough history and track record on contract finishing hogs that you know we knew that we could probably find somebody after the fact that could help us out or an integrator that would work. And so it, it was an interesting conversation. We went to Tri Oak after we got our permits and said, hey, we got three 5,000 head sites you could start digging on tomorrow. You know, typically that's a 90 to 180 day process that um, and and so that bet paid off um, in spades for us there. But it um, we had we had first started looking for a great partner, uh, and there was just enough hesitation that we said, well, let's take this risk off the table for them and put it on ourselves. And and then once we did that, we were able to, to connect back with Trioc, and it's been a great relationship. Good deal. What is uh, on the farm side? Do you own part of the farm, Scott? Yeah, so that's a great question. So Eric and so Eric and myself, and then my mom and dad are all equal partners. And one of the things that I commend my parents for, uh, and I'd say this if he wasn't on the screen or two, but is their their desire and commitment to truly not just transferring um, management decision making, but also equity uh, as the next generation has come back. And we did it in a, in a unique way, actually. Instead of buying out the older generation, uh, what we did was we just started a whole new company. And so uh, we, we were able, because Eric had come back and at that point we knew that my other brother, Kyle, was not interested in coming back. We said, let's start a, let's start a new company that we're all working together with. And then uh, over time, you know, we'll, we'll lease equipment back from, from the old company, but uh, we've gotten through most of that now, and so it's it's allowed Eric and I to experience the the fruits of our labor, but also we're signed on the note just as much as as everybody else is, and and so um, the the risk reward is truly balanced amongst all the partners of the business, and it it's worked well. It it truly has allowed each of us to thrive in different ways. So Eric, he's one of the reasons he's not on the podcast today is because he's he's running the harvest crew right now. When Steve and I were able to sneak away, but uh, it it it's truly allowed him to excel in his role operationally. It's allowed um, my role more on the the business and strategic side of things, and some of the other to run up the other ventures that we have. Um, in addition to my role with Red Reef. And then uh, it's allowed my dad to successfully transition his day-to-day -day role to Eric, but still be around in a coaching capacity to make sure that we're all, you know, you know, the trust, but verify and the, the you know, the give, up, give them a long enough leash to do what they need to, but not, not too long to hang themselves. And, and so that's, that's really been um, actively um, deployed on our farm in a way that I think's really worked out well. And, you know, it, we hope that it extends beyond just Eric and I, but to our operators as well. Having my dad, who's able to grab a college intern and say, hey, we're going to go scout some fields because you're an agronomy major, you know, and, and uh, I think our whole operation has benefited from that. And, and I do know that the risk tolerance that Eric and I have is a little different than the risk tolerance of my parents at this stage in their life. And, and so I think being equal partners allows us to get the best of both worlds, right? We're not giving up opportunities because the older generation is looking to phase off into retirement or slow down or get out of debt or whatnot. Um, but we're also not completely just, well, you Steve may disagree, but we're not completely going crazy with, with lining up new loans and, and going nuts on different projects that we maybe shouldn't be chasing um, either. And so it's, it's really been, um, it's been a, it's been a successful story. I think by, I am biased of what farm transitions can look like, um, but it's something that would not be possible at all without the, the conviction and commitment of my parents to see it through. I, li I like the setup of that. I Maybe that's what we should do, Jordan. I mean, maybe we should each throw a couple hundred grand, start a new company, and then we can build companies from there equal. Because mostly it's like a, Jordan one time, he's like, Dad, seriously. He's like, I come to you with all these ideas all the time. And you're just like, no, no. I'm like, no, <laughs> no. Jordan's like, 
man, I'm tired every time, Dad. I'm just coming to you with these ideas. I'm like, yeah, no, we're not doing it. No, I've already done that. He's like, is there anything now that we – I'm just like, I don't know, son, but those aren't it. I'm not doing any of those. So I like that, how you guys transitioned that, though, started a new company up. And- well, Lori and I felt pretty strongly on that, is that, no, the future isn't Steve and Lori. We, you know, we, we feel like we've led a very, very um, – we've met so many of our goals personally that it's kind of like, well, I don't, I don't want to lose the fire in the belly. That might be the one thing I, I, I'm concerned about a little bit for myself, right. but at the same time, at the same time, I want to make sure that they're able to create the future for them. Yeah. And I want to be a partner. That's where my dad was so great. I mean, he, he, he walked away, but, you know, every once in a while there would be a farm that I didn't want to take the whole bite, bite into. And I said, Dad, I, I don't want to take this whole thing out. Would you be a part? Yeah, I can do that. You know, yeah. and he just said, yeah, I can do that so many times. It made me really appreciate that. So then hopefully then I can support Scott, Kyle and Eric on their choices in the yeah. future too. Oh, yeah, I think that's great. I agree. So, I mean, I think and that's I, one core or one common thread amongst a lot of us in the ag space. It's I always feel like my dad worked super hard. My grandpa works and they always would just say, hey, if you could just move the ball a little further down the field for, for the family. I mean, that's the kind mm-hmm. of the feeling that they want. It sounds like you and your wife have done that and hopefully pass it on to Scott and, and Eric and they'll do the same and same with our family. And we all move a little further down the road. So. That's a good way to say it. Yeah, I think that's a that's a good philosophy. So, yeah, good stuff there. Yeah, how Scott, how uh, how important you think that ownership stake? I'm just I'm assuming that's kind of was your first step into kind of the bigger role. You took ownership of the farm a little bit, and now you're getting into the livestock a little bit on that side of things. But how important do you think that is to where you're at today? Because I think me and my dad have a similar relationship, and we all have equal say in the family on certain investments and stuff like that. And I see other family businesses to where the son you would say is hell. He's stuck in the combine the whole time, just like the laborer until dad's old and can't make decisions anymore. And I I just, I personally feel like I'm leaps and bounds ahead of where those guys are just on a business side, making decisions. Like if, if my dad were to get hit by a bus tomorrow, I think I could pick up the pieces and run with something and make some stuff happen to where other generational businesses I see, they would have no clue what to do. So I think yeah, I think we, it's important. we've always kind of used the busman, the bus analogy too internally, you know, what happens if, uh, if, and I, I tell you what, we don't take this the wrong way, dad, but we wouldn't miss a beat if something happened to my dad or our, one of our operation, our operations manager, the role we still need to successfully transition though, is my mom's role as CFO. So we've hired uh, uh, our first kind of non-family senior leadership team member um, is, uh, is a a controller uh, guy that we just hired to, to transition into that CFO role. Um, But I think that's, that's where, from a transition standpoint, we do have some exposure still on that side of it. We could we could struggle through it, but we definitely don't have it all figured out yet um, for her role. It, it does make a difference, though, back to your point on ownership, because especially in the way that we farm, you know, we're we try to use other people's money as much as we can. And and it's it's that's been the way to make money the last several years. Now that that may be changing with a lot of these interest rate hikes and the new world that we're getting into. But when Eric and I look at how, how we're going to be able to move the football further down the field, um, which is a great analogy, Kevin, the, you know, the way that we look at it is, well, you know, we may have a nice balance sheet for kids our age, but it's not like, it's not that liquid. And so we have to truly manage what little cash we have in a way that can be impactful. And, and that's partly why it's not farmland for us. It's been um, investments back into the operating company, uh, just because that still has been the highest grossing return entity um, for us. 
The livestock has been great just because banks lend at a higher LTV on that than about anything. And young, young and beginning programs are really supportive of taking it to even higher LTV levels. And so that's, uh, that's really been what's been driving that. And seeing the, the benefit of that as an owner really does, you know, make you more willing to do it again. Um, and obviously it's, you know, the, when you hit a rough patch, you feel like you got a little bit more there to kind of chew off of or give up if you needed to. Um, and, and so it's, no, it's, it's been great. I also think it gives us confidence when we're addressing the team, right? So Eric, Eric just turned, what he turned at 20, 28, I'm 32. You know, most of our employees are 45, 50 plus, and there's a good chunk that are older than 60. And so it's one thing when you're the boss's kid to be addressing that, you know, but it's a whole different thing when you're an owner, right? And so I think that having ownership stake in it gives us each an individual level of confidence around, hey, when we make a decision, you know, we're we're living with the, the outcome, good or bad. Um, and, and so we can instruct um, in, in that same vein. And so that um, that's kind of been, that's been another kind of mindset that I think has really helped with it. Um, and it, it just incentivizes us to, to actually know what's going on in all aspects of the business, not just the little box that we would manage. That's, yeah, that's putting it good. That's a, that's a good analogy on that for sure on the ownership. Back to the uh, farm mom for a second. How about the most undervalued, underrated player on the team? When Jordan was little guy, Jordan was, I don't know, maybe five or six. Michelle was going to take a trip. She had to take a trip somewhere to, for business or something. And, Jordan looked at me, he's like, dad, he's all serious. What are we going to do when our cooker's gone? And I'm like, <laughs> it's like what are we going to do when our cooker's gone? And I'm like, hey, mom, and I'm like, we're going to be fine. We're going to figure it out. Now that he's older, he's always like, dad, we're screwed. If mom, something goes down, mom goes down, we're, we're screwed. Mom's got all the books, got all the knowledge, all the insight. I mean, hell, I don't know if we can get into our own safes without mom. So no, I agree. That is a tough one because like Michelle, I says my wife, I mean, just, she's like, anything you guys don't want to mess with or anything that just rolls downhill ends up on her desk and her mm -hmm. plate and accounting uh, uh, for sure. All the accounting books and uh, paperwork. Yeah. And it's like, man, yeah, you're right there. Finding someone good to help your mom or get that replaced. That is tough. That is, that. I think that's one of the bigger ones too. I think that's probably our, our biggest weakness right now. I would definitely say she's the, she's definitely the clue that keeps it together and yeah, she's the strength, but it's like, man, if something were, yeah, we'd be in deep shit for sure. On that <laughs> we'd be working double what we're working now. Yeah, I, mean, that, I don't know if that's possible. <laughs> uh, I hear you. I don't know either. So, yeah, I, I give you guys credit on that one. So, yeah, hopefully you find some way to transition that into, you know. And we try to, because a lot of the people we work with, Scott, you understand, like, they want on new systems or new platforms. And then, you know, my wife's like, I'm not switching. I'm not changing. And so we're kind of, you know, and it's like, hey, I don't want to deal with it either. So we're just all like hands off with mom. Just let her do her thing and do nobody mess with her. So no, it's been good, but I'm with you. It's that's definitely one to transition or, or find a way to help transition. So especially as you guys add more and more entities, it just becomes the bandwidth down there can get crazy. So, yeah. Yeah. What so what, got, uh, what's what's next for you guys? What are you what are you guys looking to get into next? How how are you wanting to transition the farm to your kids, Scott? Yeah, or I guess the whole whole operation. For sure. No, I think that. Um, well, first of all, first of all, check in with us at five years from now to see if any of this is real. We'll find out. <laughs> can you tell? Can you tell when I said, "Hey, we should get into livestock"? Who said no? and is not involved. <laughs> so the, uh, I know, it, I feel your pain there, Jordan. Uh, the, uh, you know, I think it, when we, whenever we have visitors or a tour group comes through the farm, you know, we always give a presentation on the overview of our farm and the last slide in it, it's a, it's a, it's three pictures kind of, there's a picture of my great grandfather and his farm in Western Iowa. Um, and, you know, he was a guy that what he added, the strategic decision he made was at 55 years old to sell. He had 720 acres paid for ground in the 1950s, and he sold half of it, picked the family up and moved them to where we are today. 
So it got us out of sandy river bottom ground to rich, deep black topsoil in central Iowa. Um, and he made that decision at 55 and farmed for eight years and, and unfortunately died early on a tractor. Um, but you look at that picture compared to the next one, which is my grandparents, um, the farmstead that they built here that had been our headquarters up until 12, 10, 12 years ago. And, you know, it looked kind of just kind of like you'd picture you had little outbuildings and different things for a lot of just small scale, but it all types of livestock and row crops. And then the picture of where we are today is a very modern, professional, commercial farm. And that's definitely been the goal of my folks is to build something that was attractive for the next generation to come back to that was successful um, in a way that met the needs of people that weren't family. You know, when you have non-family employees, how do you attract them? Well, coming to work at a nice, clean, professional, progressive farming environment, it brings them in. And so the question that we always pose to groups and what Eric and I are posing to each other, is, what's the next picture look like, right? If we're the fourth generation, what's that fourth picture going to be? Um, and I think right now we, we have this livestock element that, that it could be that. But I also think that there could be some of these more kind of ancillary non-ag type investments as well that maybe take it from Longview Farms to Longview Group, right? Or Longview Companies or something, kind of take that um, diversified approach. And, and I don't really know what that will exactly look like. I, I know two things to be true. One, um, we want to do it in a way that there'll be opportunities for our kids, our families to be involved and that we can still work together as a family. Um, but I also, I think that we're also committed to it not looking the same. And, and so whatever that may be, you know, who knows, but it, I think there'll be an element of diversification and integration, vertical integration with the current entities that we have. And so that's where we look at some of these non-ag investments, whether it be into apartment buildings or private equity um, on different things with these renewable diesel plants and plays that we've made there and others that, you know, I think our generation will have the influence over the family capital to start looking at it as a family office, um, not just a family farm. And that really excites me. Uh, it excites the finance major and kind of the interpersonal interest that I have. And, um, I, and it allows us to bring in the non-farming brother into the conversation too, which is really cool. We have a great relationship with our brother, Kyle. Um, he's a lot smarter than all of us. He's an attorney. Um, and uh, he had just chose early on not to be a part of the day-to-day -day operations of the farm. And I would love for that next picture to find a way to incorporate him and his skill set too. And he's he's fully invested, put capital in, put time in on the livestock with Eric and I. So we're already kind of keeping him involved. But to me, I get really excited when I think about some of these other avenues that we can really bring him into the fold, even though we may not be a day-to-day -day farm operator like Eric or I would be. You know, they always said, Jordan, remember when I told you I was at a conference once and spoke behind a group that they said, I think it's 90, over 90 some percent, 95% of most of the businesses never last past three generations and almost 99 never make it past four, not just farm business. I'm talking businesses in general. It was always, the, you know, the second generation had a firsthand look at how hard the first generation had to work, what they had to sacrifice. So they were good. Third generation got a pretty good look at it. But then after that, you know, things really start to just shift and change on, on how much sacrifice had to be made. And so you lose a little bit of that, I guess, you know, that X factor, you know, trying that. But I think you guys are awesome in the fact you keep a lot of that past. Uh, I hear you guys talking about that quite frequently, you know, what the past was like and where you've gotten to and, and, and trying not to lose ground and continue to move forward and, and honor the past and, and have a vision for the future. So I think that's well, all. It's like I was sharing earlier. It'd be really arrogant of me to say that I built this thing by myself. I'm, I mean, I'm standing on the shoulders of, like I said earlier, a grandfather I didn't knew, a dad who sacrificed a lot to do this and, and a great 
group of people around me. Um, Calvin McFadden, who's been with our family for 38 years. I mean, we just got great. We've been very blessed with people and opportunity and, you know, I didn't squander it, I guess. I think it's interesting, Steve, too, to hear you to say, I mean, I was thinking when you guys were talking about it and Jordan's saying he's in a similar situation where I've given him a lot of reins and I want to pay it for, you know, and like mm-hmm. take throats. But I think a lot of, I mean, a lot of people are creature of habit. And I, I tell Jordan and my family, all the time, I mean, I have some farm family friends who I'm, I'm telling you the, the one still in charge, maybe 90 years old. And then the next one's maybe set. I mean, and the son that's 50, I mean, he's just now getting to run the garden hose. I mean, he's not getting to do, do a whole lot of anything still. And it's, how do you, you know, it's like, man, that's a tough, that's a tough cycle to break. And then, you know, be like, okay, I'm going to help him and I'm going to turn over. I mean, it's just, it's almost like that just stays in a, they just stay in that cycle well, forever and ever. And it's like, man. Maybe I'm just lazy enough that I want to be away from here and let these guys work. So. <laughs> I hear you. That's where I'm at. I'm like, hey, go get them, guys. I'll be over at your house. You know, hey, go nuts. So, no, I agree. But, yeah, that's a tough cycle to break. So, I, I, I the folks that aren't as, uh, you know, I guess, I guess, Scott, as lucky as you are to have a father like you have that, it's got that type of vision, you know, it's a tough road for a lot of people. So, I mean, yeah. lucky. Oh, we're very blessed. Yeah, for sure. So yep. cool. What, uh, what, what'd you guys have going on last week? You had a bunch of people out, didn't you? Yeah, we hosted, um, the honor of the harvest forum, which is the United States farmers and ranchers in action has an annual conference where they invite all stakeholders of the supply chain, um, this year, obviously, they've been pretty focused on a lot of this climate smart ag um, discussion, regenerative practices, and different um, ways that those can actually find ways to be more impactful and boost adoption. And so um, we, we're supportive of that vision. Um, and we think that probably even more importantly, farmers need to have a voice in that conversation. And so we were happy to welcome them on the farm and, uh, and host that event. It was it was much bigger event than I, I realized it would have been, it was going to be. Uh, and so uh, they essentially turned our farm into a conference center for a week. And it was, um, and so no, it was great just to see folks, some, many of which had never been on a farm before, um, just come out and, and get to have conversations in our shop with us and with others in the industry. And so, um, you know, I, I hope that it, it moved the football forward to continue using that analogy and that conversation. Um, you know, I, I think at times there's this is my personal opinion, but there's a little kumbaya effect in some of those meetings too, that um, hope that, you know, I was glad to see them move beyond that here, but, uh, but ultimately, you know, we have a, we have a very, we're a very willing family um, and try to be very transparent with people and our farm doors are always open sometimes too often <laughs> for maybe our operations team. But uh, we've, we've really felt like we have an opportunity to be great advocates for the industry um, and to share our story and our values. Uh, and, you know, for, for us, it, we learn too from every group that comes in, we learn something new. And, and if we can take some nugget or a new relationship and expand on that, um, you know, that's great. You know, perfect example actually from the Van Trump report, you know, the CEO of Covercrest was one of the guys at the event. And so it was great to meet him in person because that's, to me, that's a, a new innovative solution coming to kind of a new climate that hasn't figured out the double cropping opportunities yet, but yet likes cover crops to, to try and find a way to integrate that. Um, and so to get him on the farm versus uh, trying to chase people down via email and different things was, was, um, you know, was great. So, so no, it, was, it went well. Yeah. I love the open attitude that uh, you guys bring to the, to the table. I was at a conference once and Musk was talking and he said he hated more he hates more than anything patents and you know copyrights uh, he was just like I, he you know he has an open interface system where they share most all of their tesla data and knowledge and yep. uh, battery technology and everything and i think it's i think it's it's pretty cool i mean uh, to make that happen so 
It's also interesting yeah. that how many people invest in ag or have a say in ag, but have never even been on a farm. Yeah. I mean, it's that nuts anymore. It's so crazy. I was amazed at the number of staff members for an, a group named U.S. Farmers and Ranchers that had been on a farm before. <laughs> I hear I don't know. It's, yeah, it's definitely, we definitely got to get the words out there. Hopefully more people can get out and see things. So, yeah. Jordan? Cool, cool. Uh, one more question uh, for you, Scott. Uh, how, I wanted to ask you personally, like, I'm five years younger than you. You got a lot going on with the farm and cattle and you're working with the Red Reef Partners. How do you, uh, how do you juggle the balls? Do you just work nonstop or? Yeah, Scott, how do you juggle That's all the balls? <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I'm kind of in the same boat. I'm juggling some balls too. So. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't know, to be honest with you. I, I run my, so my day-to-day organization really flows through my email. Um, I'm, I'm a very, I'm very OCD about how I organize things. And so, I try to run my my daily to dos through my email or through kind of a Excel spreadsheet or notebook. But ultimately, what I found is when you're really excited about everything and everything is somewhat intertwined or there's alignment through it all, you know, it's it, it you don't feel as bad jumping up to push the balloon back up in the air, right? So the goal that I have is that I'm not just keeping balloons in the air, but that we're actually going somewhere or building something with it. Um, and so for me, it, it's just, it's truly driven a lot by passion. And, and, um, I think, so one of the things I listened to the all in podcast, I don't know if you guys listen to those guys at all, like, um, Chamath Palihapitiya and, uh, David Sachs and some of these guys that have, have done it more in the venture world, but they always talk about the entrepreneurial Kind of characteristics and one of them is just grit right just the willingness just to get it done and you're going to figure it out regardless of what it takes and and so in my mind i've always kind of latched on to that is i know i'm not going to be the smartest person in the room and i'm probably not going to have as most as much money as others but i got i got the ability to go get her done and i'll work hard and not work on it so um so sometimes it's not as organized as my wife would like it i guarantee you that but uh it uh, it definitely um, has has served me well. Yeah, I was watching a deal this morning on a guy, and he was just saying the difference on. Uh, he's just like I'm just an ordinary guy. I mean, there ain't much difference between me and the the guy over here that it doesn't have much going on. He's not very successful. He's like, but I just give it a little bit more every day, and a little bit more here, mm-hmm. and a little bit more there, and eventually it adds up to a lot more. So. I think that's that's probably the key just keep grinding away <laughs> you know we yeah. always talk in in our red reef conversations right of how do you deliver financial results and farmland to institutional investors and you know when you're dealing with small single digit cap rates you know every penny and every nickel you can pick up off the floor matters right and so that's the approach we take to every deal how can we pick up the pennies and the nickels and the dimes to make the next dollar and it's amazing when you're actually willing to roll your sleeves up and get down on the floor and find them, um, the opportunities that are there. And, and so we really, um, we really try to take that approach in all, all aspects, whether it's Red Reef, whether it's Longview Farms, um, whether it's just family stuff, it's, it's something that, that we all try to remain committed to. Yeah, I think one of Jordan's big questions, Scott and Steve, is as he's She's got this girlfriend. They're all serious. You know, they'll be getting married soon and everything. And she, she's, she's a teacher and, you know, our family's always owned our own businesses and all of our own things. So this whole work-life balance thing is starting to come into a question. (laughs) Jordan's just like that, you know, Hey, what what are we doing? You know, I'm getting blown up over here. I said, well, I, I, you're going to have to let her know that this is just, this is where it's going, you know, so I, you know, it is tricky though, right? I mean, all of our friends talk well, about I think a lot of us have been told that, you know, you have, you can either have a, you know, a good family life or a successful yeah. business or whatever. You know, Lori and I had went to a planning session years and years ago, and I'll never forget for a challenge. We went through this goal setting. All mine were a business, all of hers were family. <laughs> and she, 
she said, can you support me on this? I said, yeah. Can you support me on this? Yeah. And I said, can you support me on this? Yeah. And, and that day really made me realize it's not an or situation, if or or situation. It's an and. And if you're doing it together and you're both on the same page and wanting every both people to be successful and your kids to be successful, life's not about always saying that you can't have a successful family if you're in business. You can have both. You just got to give your the intentionality and the commitment to love and support and, and, and get your butt out of bed and get something done. I think that's a great one to end on, Jordan. I mean, I think that's an awesome – I love what Steve – what you even said there. I mean, and that's kind of how Michelle and I have done it as well. Like, we each had our individualism where, you know, I was doing then. She had her jobs and duties she wanted to do, and I had mine. And, and we tried to help one another succeed at both of those, not try to say, hey, you're, you know, where's my half or where's my takeaway? So – I agree with you. And that's, that's important. And I think, I think younger people are struggling with that more and more uh, when we hire new people and, you know, we may have to work late or actually, and I'm hearing them getting blown up on their cell phone. Hey, where are you at? You know, and it's like, you know, it's just, I don't know. The quiet, well, quit, the quiet quit movement, you know, Scott, they were yeah. here now and all that jazz, just crazy. Mm -hmm. We can't let the world pollute all the messages of the truth out there that, that there's just, yeah, the, the world just wants to pollute it through social media, yelling at each other, but there's right. still truth. You're absolutely right. So that's a great message there, guys. So yeah. Hey, been an awesome conversation. Jordan, you got anything else? Or we want to wrap that's it up. Good. I think we're, I think we're about an hour in. So stuff. So. Well, look forward to seeing you guys. Yeah, anything we can ever do for you guys, let us know. And we sure appreciate it. Best of luck on it all. So thank, thank you, you again. All right. Awesome. Thanks, guys. All right. See you later. Bye-bye.